0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Well, just a few weeks ago, I opened my sermon by saying that one of the great joys in life is to be known through and through. And I still think that's true. But... One of the things that I did not consider in that sermon is, what if there is something that you don't want people to know? Because it may not feel so great to be known through and through when there's something in your past that you want to keep hidden, or something in your present for that matter. I could give you lots of examples in my own life, but then you would know all the things. But here's one that's kind of silly and certainly safe, but it makes the point. I remember a time when I was in high school when I decided that a really good idea, just a really fun idea, would be to cut fishtails in the grass along the side of the road in my 1980 Pontiac station wagon. <laughs> it was a stretch of road that didn't have any houses or anything, it was no, and there was nobody else on the road, and, and I... There was just this little little slope down, uh, and, and so I could get some good action on it, and so I, I went down and I revved it and first time man, it was really fun. And then I, saw, I thought, let's do that again And second time, it was awesome. And then the third time I'm not really sure what happened, but um <laughs> I ended up down in the ditch, because apparently that's not what a station wagon's for. <laughs> um, and so I had to run, we weren't too far from my neighborhood, I had to run to my friend's house. Uh, he had a big pickup truck, his name was Duke, and he had a big pickup truck, he was really cool. And, um, and he, had, he found a big chain and we drove back down to my car, he was going to pull my car out of the ditch. And while we were hooking it up, one of my mom's friends drove by. And she pulled over and asked if I was okay, and I put on this big, dumb smile, and assured her it was all according to plan, and, uh, and yet I knew, I knew that before long, I was going to be in trouble, because my mom and dad, who knew me all the way through, and who also, by the way, owned that car, uh, that they were about to know something about me that I did not want them to know, Right? And there were going to be consequences of that knowledge that I did not want to have to face. And sure enough, that was the last day that I drove that car or any car for quite some time. Now that's just a silly example, and I could give you a lot worse. But most of us know what it's like to have somebody find out something about us that we didn't want them to find out. And maybe a lot of people finding that out. It was something that we did that we shouldn't have done. It was something we said that we wish we hadn't said. Whatever it is, it gets out and we are embarrassed, we're humiliated, or we're just doing damage control, or we're trying to justify it, or we're lying about it, or we're slinging mud back in the other direction and we're just running away and hiding. All to avoid the consequences that we don't want to have to face when people know something about us that we don't want them to know. And I wonder which of these reactions was the most instinctive temptation to the Samaritan woman at the well. It's an amazing story. But it gets off to sort of an awkward start, doesn't it? It's amazing for a lot of reasons. But at least for me, it's amazing because the gospel writer, John, puts it right after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. If you remember, if you were here last week, that's what Beth preached on. And you had this super educated, religious, elite, teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, who doesn't get it. He doesn't get Jesus, he doesn't get that He's the Christ, he doesn't get faith. At least not yet, not in John 3. He gets it, it seems to get it later on, but not in John chapter 3. But in John chapter 4, we have the unnamed, morally compromised woman who is a Samaritan, no less, which means she was ethnically and theologically very mixed. She gets it. Her encounter with Jesus changes her life. Jesus told Nicodemus that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And apparently when he said whoever, he means whoever. Because Jesus crosses every barrier to reach this Samaritan woman. Ethnic, religious, gender, social stigma... And when she looks the Messiah in the eye, she gets it. It's an amazing story. But it's it starts off kind of awkwardly, awkwardly. Jesus is worn out and it's just barely noon. I think that's funny. He's been walking up from the Judean wilderness. It's a long way. The sun's already hot. And the disciples, no doubt, have been in his ear complaining. Because Jesus is taking them through dreaded Samaria. Why don't we just go around like every other Jew, Jesus? And it's because Jesus has an appointment. The disciples don't know it. And the Samaritan woman doesn't know it. But Jesus is here to talk to her. Now what we know about this woman from this conversation is that she has had five husbands and she's working on a sixth. And there is no scenario where this woman has not been through an extraordinary amount of pain in her life. Maybe she is divorced several times over having drifted through failed relationships with angry men who could not be pleased and who left her to fend for herself in this male-dominated society. Or, maybe she was abused and somehow found a way that she could leave them. Or maybe they died. But whatever was the combination of those things, two things are sure. Number one, she endured a lot of pain And sadness. And number two, she does not want to talk about it. Especially with the random Jewish man, a stranger, who is sitting at the well. In fact, she is there at noon so that she doesn't have to talk about it. Right? She doesn't want to endure the sideways glances of the other women in the town. They all the other women would have come to draw Water at the well in the cool of the morning. And they would have socialized, and they would have rolled their eyes about their husbands and their kids. And this, but this woman is there at noon with the intention of being alone. She didn't want to be with the friends. So she didn't have to answer for the cloud over her head or the, about her cursed life. But this man shows up. To Jewish man. I mean, what, what is he even doing here in Samaria, she wonders. And like every other man, he demands something of her. Now, he's not like every other man, but she doesn't know that yet. Give me a drink, he says. Now, she's dealt with plenty of men in her life, and so there's probably a little hardness in her voice, a little, this ain't my first rodeo in her voice, When she asks, what is a Jewish man doing asking a Samaritan woman for a drink? And then it starts getting weird. Jesus says, you actually should be the one asking me for a drink. I got living water. Now, I might be wrong about this, but it seems to me that as the woman is keeping up the banter with Jesus, uh, that she is not really taking him seriously at this point. Because living water, that'd be running water. And this is a well. It's just still water. And men didn't serve women in that culture. This man's just talking crazy talk. But then he opens up the wound. Now Let me tell you, if a stranger shows up to you and starts telling you your secrets starts telling you all the things that you don't want other people to know, you're going to call the police. But this Samaritan woman doesn't have that option. Does she feel embarrassed or humiliated? Does she want to justify herself or blame all those men or blame God or start yelling at Jesus She's street smart. She knows that maybe her safety is on the line, so she stays calm and she moves the conversation to something more comfortable, religious differences. How uncomfortable must it have been if the more comfortable thing is religious differences? But why had Jesus gone to the wound? Why did Jesus go right to the thing that she wouldn't want him or anybody else to know? Because that's where she needs him. That's where she needs healing, peace, redemption. That's where she needs the Lord of love to look her in the eye and say, I see it all. And I love you. I see the heartbreak. I see the pain. I see the anger I see the way you're handling it I see it all and I'm here I'm here for you and that's what he does when he says to her I, when she says I know that the Messiah is coming and he's going to explain it all and he responds I am he Because in the Greek, there's no "he." There's no word "he." Now this is the right English translation, but John's getting a little getting to something a little bit deeper, because Jesus claims the name of God when he looks to the Samaritan woman and says, "I am. I am." And she gets it. Jesus claims the name of God. And one of the coolest little details in this story is that she gets so excited at discovering the Messiah that she runs back to town and what? She leaves her water bucket. Such a funny little detail that John leaves in there. She forgets her water bucket. Why? Because she's got the living water. She's got the living water. She gets it. Her testimony was, he told me everything that I had ever done. And in any other circumstance, that kind of intimacy from a stranger, it would offend and drive away. It would push her to fight or flight. But it's not in any other circumstance. It's Jesus. And he showed up for her. And when he knows the things that we don't want others to know, he sticks around. He puts his love and his healing in those places. So what is it for you? What is the secret hurt that you don't want to talk about? What is the equivalent in your life of going to draw water at noon? Because that's where Jesus wants to work. He opens up the wound so he can place his healing and so he can place his love right there. So that his cross can redeem it so you can have his I am-ness in your life too so you can have the living water you show up here today but Jesus has shown up for you and there's going to be a team during communion who would love to pray with you about it and I'll be around after this service amen